right. Nothing I like better than strolling around in a 100,000 watt radio signal umbrella. It is quite the thing to consider. You know, there's a lot of guys you've never heard of. I've never heard of them because, you know, they came before my time. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I have, since I've been able to get on some sort of a platform in radio, I've always done some as much as I can with veterans because I'm a veteran myself, and I'm a lucky veteran, right? I'm a lucky veteran. But there's a lot of them that, you know, there's a lot of them that sort of fall through the cracks. So to that end, I'm about to team up with Upstate Warrior Solutions, and we're going to do something. We're going to do as much as we can about that, right? But I, I think it's very interesting to look back in time before there was a 24-hour news cycle and see what kind of guys we had serving for us. Say during Vietnam, like Carlos Hathcock, gunnery sergeant, U.S. Marine Corps. He was a sniper. He was not in it for the killing. And at the time, he was he had the most confirmed kills and the longest shot ever taken. And he held those through his lifetime because he died young. And he didn't enjoy the killing, he enjoyed the hunt. And uh, we see this after the war. A friend showed Hathcock a passage written by Ernest Hemingway. Certainly, there's no hunting like the hunting of man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and like it never really care for anything else thereafter. And he copied Hemingway's words uh, on a piece of paper and said he got that right. Not only was he a sniper, but he was an improv- he improvised a lot. He improvised an awful lot. One time he ran into a, a North Vietnamese infantry unit. And uh, because they had new uniforms, he knew they didn't have a lot of experience. And there was no support against Hathcock while approaching him in an open rice paddy. That's a, you know, so the, the sniper dumped the officer in front, which is you know, a euphemism. And then they killed four of them before the last officer in command took off running. So the enemy had no leadership. It didn't move. And this guy took on a whole group by himself as a sniper. Then there was a Cobra. And the Cobra was famous because a lot of you have seen the shot that killed the Cobra dramatized in countless war movies since this happened and it became known. Uh, He was a counter sniper. And uh, he killed a uh, Marine Corps gunnery sergeant outside of the sniper's own living quarters on base. And Hathcock took a vow that he was going to get some on that. So he got his partner's gear and he began to trail the Cobra. And he said, uh, he was so close to being as good as I was, but ain't no way, ain't nobody that good. So the Cobra took a shot at Hathcock and his team as he uh, accidentally fell over a decayed tree. And uh, it hit his spotter's canteen and the Cobra took off running. And eventually, they basically switched places. They were facing in opposite places. And for Cobra, his new position was facing the sun. So whenever you see that that filmed shot of of one sniper shooting another sniper through his scope, this is what it is based off of. Because the sun glinted off the lens of his scope. And Hathcock saw it, and he shot the glint. And they were both taking aim at each other, and he just happened to be the quickest on the trigger. And the shot went straight through the scope, straight through without even touching the sides. And you've seen that. 
You've seen that in countless, countless uh, films around there. He had to take on somebody called the Apache. The Apache was a female Viet Cong, and she was very sadistic. Uh, she got one enemy combatant and skinned him all night and half the next day. And then she turned him loose and he died right in the wire. And for them, this was very personal. So they didn't know it was the Apache until they saw this patrol coming up because she was a female and she had to answer the call of nature. She made a fatal mistake of doing that the way a female does in the field. And Hathcock put her down. So he also fitted a 50 caliber machine gun, an M2. And he put that into a mount, and then uh, the CBs figured out a way to mount him an optic on there that would take the pounding of this. And he was taking shots uh, of 1,000 yards and 2,500 yards with a with a 50 caliber machine gun. So, you know, and as soon as he got at zero, they started stepping in the way. He also took on a unit with a 105mm M40 recoilless rifle. <laughs> and he got out there and, uh, you know, there was a Viet Cong sniper that harassed his base and he was on the wrong end of a gun fired by Cathcock, except it wasn't the bolt-action gun. It, and the guns that he used at the time, he used a .30-06 and he used a three oh eight. you know. You can go buy those guns today it's at, at Dewey's. And he got out there and he took on the, an enemy that was hunting him actively. He had a $30,000 bounty put on his head. He was in a, he was in some spot and he got, uh, he, uh, where they were, they, they caught on fire and he got seven Marines out and did not realize what he had done to himself. And they had to put him in water. They had to carry him in water to a hospital. And unfortunately, I think he was 56 years old. He died of a multiple sclerosis to complications with that. And he died way before his time. Now, this is the kind of guy, when you see one of these Vietnam veteran guys wearing a hat on his head, and he's an older man now, right? He's an older man. Understand this. They fought in a war that was completely unpredictable, very hairy, uh, you know, um, you look at some of the stuff that's written about this. Uh, Billy Joel wrote a song called Good Night Saigon. And in this, he makes the point that the American troops owned the day, but the Viet Cong owned the night. And that was very much the case. And for these troops that would be out there in these positions, fighting an enemy that was... For, for, for the uh, Viet Cong and for the... Uh, for You know, they were... Uh, they had no options other than to fight and win or fight and die so you see a man today you see a veteran wearing a hat and it says he was in vietnam in the 60s or something just know one thing when that guy was in his prime this guy was a very dangerous individual when he strode out onto the face of the earth there was nothing he hadn't seen there was nothing he wasn't willing to do he had survived You look back at these guys and you look back at their exploits and this, I mean, there was a time in the 80s, we very much could, uh, 
we could have duplicated this stuff because we had to do a lot of uh, field expedient stuff. I had uh, I went to the uh, I went to the clothing store one day because they didn't issue us any sort of knife. We had bayonets assigned to us to go with the weapons, but we didn't carry those. So uh, I wanted a knife, and uh, then I get out there and I'm uh, looking at it, and uh, yeah, that's right. There's he wore a white feather in his hat, so they called the, the Viet Cong called him the White Feather, old Hathcock. But I got I got one of these pilot survival knives, and I use that more as a tent stake than I ever cut anything with it. A lot of field expedient stuff going on in the military at that time. I don't know what they do today, right? I don't know how they do it today. It is a different military today. Uh, when I go up and walk to them, it's like, okay, pops. And he, I don't think that way. I don't see myself as pops, but, you know, that is the truth of the matter. <laughs> When I go down to Columbia and I see some of these active duty kids out there, I'm like, wow, they look so young. So young. But hey, that was my that was my age demographic when I served. Carlos Hathcock. The original American sniper. Tucker sat down with a guy named Douglas McGregor to make an assessment of the Ukraine war. And it's an interesting assessment. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 the Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. And the uh, I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. And you can find the podcast on the free Odyssey app. Tucker Carlson did a long-form interview with a guy named Colonel Douglas McGregor, retired. All about the war in the Ukraine. And his contention is that the Ukrainians are losing badly. But there's also a consequence for this. There, 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 there will be a consequence for this loss uh, domestically for America and Europe. So if you were to listen only to the media, you'd believe that a year and a half into the war in Ukraine, a war that the Uniparty supports, that the Ukraine army is slowly clawing their way to victory. And, uh, well, we're told that the Russians are demoralized and afraid. And that, that may be true to a certain degree, but we're talking about troops in the field versus troops, right? Now, according to Colonel McGregor, 400,000 Ukrainian deaths, 50,000 Russians. A lot of dying. The Russians have the edge, though. Uh, if you look at what happened to pre- uh, you know, Prigozhin, uh, that was about as efficient an attack carried out by a surface-to-air air defense facility as you can make. So they have infinitely superior eyes in the skies. They can move and strike within five minutes of being aware of a Ukrainian troop movement. And they got a lot of people 
And they're holding these people in abeyance. They're not waging an all-out war just yet. And eventually Ukraine will run out of people. And the only thing left then, if we're going to continue supporting this, will be to put our people on the ground. And uh, then that becomes a bit of a problem. You see, we lost the ability to fight on the European landmass. <laughs> The Middle East. Well, before we get into regions, uh, our, our weapons are obsolete. We have tanks that run with turbines, and those engines burn hot, whether moving or idle. So they have eight hours before they need to be refueled, but a surveillance system can locate them based upon their heat signature within minutes and that was not actually a problem in the Middle East because they didn't have that kind of radar. And we're used to fighting informal armies, ragtag, you know. And most of our casualties were sustained because of IEDs, not because of direct combat. With Russia, Russia has been uh, honing their direct combat skills for years. And we'd be, you know facing them. In the last 15 years, our military has been substantially degraded. We've gone to political and gotten away from meritocracy. And now it's all about social engineering. Then there's a the question of where are we going to get all the stuff? Because we're not the manufacturing behemoth we were during World War II. You know, during World War II, we didn't make new cars. During World War II, we didn't play baseball with guys. During World War II, we had newspapers, but they wanted them back as soon as you were done with them. You could have tires, but as soon as you're done with them, turn them back in. I've seen, I've seen the ration books, the actual ration books. My father gave me a couple of them. The actual ration books of the time during World War II, when if you went to the grocery store or the supermarket, if you didn't have a ration ticket for it, you couldn't get it. Now, he also looks at a leadership problem within the military, which that's obvious. I mean, that's as obvious as the day is long. But don't ever forget that the American left never had a problem with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was a vaster, bigger monster than just Russia. They hate Putin's Russia, though. And it's true that Putin's Russia is a cruel place with a leader who does what Russia leaders have done going back to the Middle Ages, and that is to abuse the population. But this isn't what troubles the left. What troubles them is that Putin wants Russia to be a Christian country run with traditional value. And they can't forgive that. And that's why Hillary targeted it as Trump's alleged partner behind the non-existent collusion that led to the Russia, Russia, Russia as the anti-Trump battle cry. And that may be exposed, and Trump gone from office, but for the left, the reason behind the anti-Russian animus remains. And what about all these Republicans who are part of the Uniparty that are on board with this? And if you add to the left's Putin's hatred, uh, Ukraine's long-standing role as a money-laundering state along with the wealth flowing to the weapons sector in America, which then directs cash to our political establishment from Biden on down, 
Well, then you begin to, you begin to see the picture. So this should be a sobering moment for us to understand what what he said. What he is saying is that we have lost our ability to mount what is referred to as a mount operation. We can't go into a city and fight. We've lost that ability. And we're facing an enemy that has nearly the same capability technologically as we do. Although we probably have the edge as far as state of the art. But I mean, some of the stuff that we have, I mean, we're still running the M4. And I, I hear stories about the new battle rifle and this, that, and the other. They're not fielding it. Or if they are, I haven't heard about it. And there's nothing wrong with the M4. The M4 is, a, you know, that's from the 50s, though, or the 40s. Russia has gone through various generations of their main battle rifle. And it goes from there on up. We're still using the A-10 Warthog because it's just so good. We're still using the M1 Abrams tank, which has gone through various iterations. But, I mean, we were fielding those in 1985. So while we do build good, durable stuff, at the same time, some things begin to uh, make it a little more of a liability, like, say, a heat signature. And one tank's fast, shoots on the move. It's, a, it's an incredible system. It'll lock on you. It doesn't matter what the rest of the tank does. That main gun's going to stay right there on you. And uh, if it pulls, you know, if it pulls up on you and fires at you, you can just grab it and kiss it goodbye. But if you have some way to redirect fire at it and you can find their signature, which is really easy to do because it's out there burning hot. And it's, as a matter of fact, it's harder not to see it. So, yeah, we don't have a manufacturing sector and we've lost our ability for mount warfare, mobile operations in urban terrain. I don't know what they call it now. <laughs> they probably call it something different. Whatever it is, all of our fighting has been geared towards a desert combat scene, and that's not what we would find if we have to go to Ukraine. So, anyway. The Maui fires, we can look back at them now and try to figure out what actually started this, and we know. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas. Maui fires. That was bad. That was a bad thing. That was a very bad scene. And uh, it was preventable. The news talk, or excuse me, the GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page and the podcast is available on... Uh, on uh, the free Odyssey app. These these texts keep popping up and I look at them. They, they, they distract me. Text line distracts me. <laughs> so uh, Joe Biden, he visited uh, Maui two weeks after the event, which was a nothing burger. He, 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 you know, he avoided questions at that point. He should have stuck to that. He did tell Hawaii's governor that the state would have everything it needs from the federal government. And FEMA thinks it's going to cost about $5.5 billion. And if you file for help, 
you get about 700 bucks so far and 3,000 have so far. Now, to put this in perspective, he spent $2.1 million on these people that wanted this money. He spent $24 billion in the Ukraine. On top of the $77 billion, he's already, you know, so we're talking over $100 billion. So the president's putting the foreign countries first. And this, uh, you've got Governor Joshua Green, a Democrat. What a guy. The perfect politician, a liar, laying the blame for Maui's devastation on climate change. When it actually belongs at his doorstep. Because it wasn't because of what they did. It's because of what they didn't do. On August 13, Green said that Maui's destruction was due to climate change. That level of destruction in a fire hurricane, something new to us in this age of global warming, was the ultimate reason that so many people perished. Now, I failed to explain how many lives the $100 million he dedicated to fight climate change this year from the state's budget surplus saved. And, in fact, it saved nobody. Because, well, I mean, and it, it couldn't save anybody. And the media now, the media now, is now admitting that nature and human error, not climate change, is to blame for the desolation resulting in these wildfires. Hawaii, when you're out there on the Pacific and you're a small island like Hawaii as compared to the mainland of the United States, you are constantly being hit by wind coming off of the ocean. And they have these wet and dry seasons. And it's currently a dry season in Maui. Lahina, the city that took most of this, sits on the naturally drier side of the island due to the prevailing trade winds. Fires require fuel and big fires need a lot of fuel. So Maui had that. This year's dry season following an unusually wet spring and it resulted in an invasive grass on the mountain slopes and valleys abutting Lahaina. All of the, and, and we're, you know, this is after years of agricultural use. The, 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 these places have been taken over by something called guinea grass, a fast-growing invasive plant. Now they have a fire, you know, it's almost a fire-resistant grass there, but it's not guinea grass. And rather than keeping that in check by, you know, removing it and replacing it with the native grasses and plants, which are fire-resistant, the Hawaiian government has allowed guinea grass to take over the large areas of the island, including the mountain slopes abutting Lahaina. Abby Frazier, a climatologist at, the Clark, at Clark University, told ABC News that the main factor driving the fires involved the invasive grasses that cover huge parts of Hawaii, which are extremely flammable. So coupling that invasive grass that they could have done away with, probably would have cost less than $100 million too. Then you had Hurricane Dora, a Category 4 storm that passed Hawaii in the you know, 62 mile per hour winds that drove the fires down the slopes with amazing speed. So you got hot, dry conditions, check. Very large load of dry fuel, check. High winds, check. Now all you need is an ignition source. And we don't know what that is. What, what started the fire has yet to be definitively determined. Uh, but something started it, and when it did, the conditions were ripe 
for this devastation. And that accounts for the formation of the fire and its ferocity, but not the human tragedy. That's all on the Hawaiian and Maui governments. Now, fire officials and the island's electric utility had warned for more than the decade that the island was extre at extreme risk of wildfire due to fuel buildup, which means they let a lot of undergrowth build up in these areas. And the, you know, the very nature of where they are and the climate that affects it, which is wind, and it's not man-made, uh, that's that was a condition that was ripe for a wildfire, and they did nothing about it. And despite this danger, they ranked the wildfire risk as low. Now, Nani Barreto, the executive director of Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization, uh, said uh, that's not so. Hawaii has a big wildfire program problem. We're on par with the most fire-prone states in the western continental U.S. The impacts of fire are broad and long-lasting. There's a lot we can do to prevent them. And yet, they're not doing it. They're not doing it. Why didn't they prepare for this? Why did they not trigger the island-wide siren system to warm the residents of the fire? Why were the fire hydrants empty? And once again, I come back to this thing, and I hate coming back to this thing. This is a very fine demonstration of a failing government. Climate change didn't do it, Mr. Governor. Restrictions on fossil fuels don't prevent wildfires of the devastation they bring. It all comes down to this idea that we have to take away that which causes certain things to happen. And in the case of wild, California does the same thing. They will not allow, they will not allow the underbrush to be cleared out. And it's because it's Gaia. That's what Gaia does and we should leave it alone. And then when it catches on fire and burns itself away, you know, that actually does happen in nature, right? And the only reason this is actually an issue is because we choose to live in this, which it's sort of, you know, listen, I know the underbrush is not, say, the same clear and present danger as, say, a mad grizzly bear, a cocaine bear, right? But if you're in a place where the bears are, for example, they tell you not to leave your food out, right? They tell you not to do this, not to do that, and carry this and carry that. And then if you do it, you have a chance to, to persevere against the bear. Well, with under underbrush, you've got to do the same thing. You can't say, well, we're going to live here, but we're going to leave here, we're going to leave uh, this here, but we're going to live here like there's no problems. But that is a problem because when it does go up, whenever that is, it's going to go up like a like a Roman candle and you're going to be caught in the middle of it and in a bad way, just like Maui. Horrible stuff. Right now, somebody's out there daydreaming about what the Trump dream team would look like. I looked at this. There's some things I agree with. There's some things I don't. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Well, we've got a lot of sideshows going on right now, but there's one person that got out there and said, you know what? I'm going to put together the Trump Dream Team. Yeah. 
The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Uh, we are streaming live, or I am streaming live. There's no we here. Just me and Wildcard, and he's somewhere else, too. Live on the WORD Facebook page, and you can find the podcast on the free Odyssey app. So, we have a lot of totalitarianism that we're trying to fight against, and, uh, you know, we have some underwhelming candidates out there that want to not. They want to be the Trump. They want to. They they want. They want to get rid of him. But somebody out there, I think this is from American Thinker. What's this person? Alan Goodhart. He decided to put together this uh, dream team of the executive branch on down. So Donald Trump, of course, is president. He's a politically motivated election interfering indictments are solidifying his support base. He did lose the 2020 election as a result of massive election fraud. He's a working class hero, supreme negotiator, more dangerous to the progressives and deep state. Okay. I see all of that. Yeah, I see all of that. Then we go to vice president and, um, okay. This one, there has to be a deeper strategy at work here, but I don't know. He proposes Senator Joni Ernst as proposed vice president. Uh, I thought Joni was a swamp creature. She does have some bona fides. You know, he, she was on uh, Trump's 2016 shortlist. Military veteran, you know. All, all the good things. Senator Ted Cruz is proposed attorney general. Okay. This one I like. He was on Trump's shortlist for a SCOTUS appointment, which Cruz declined. He was Associate Attorney General in the DOJ under Bush, Solicitor General of Texas. He's argued nine cases before the Supreme Court, which uh, that's pretty big. He's authored 70 uh, Supreme Court briefs. If somebody's going to go in there and take care of the DOJ, he wouldn't be bad. Senator Marco Rubio's proposed Secretary of State, forget it. Forget about it. <laughs> I don't much care uh, too much for Rubio. I, I find him as sort of quasi-effective. He sort of uh, flips around a little bit on me. Martha McSally is proposed Secretary of Defense. Okay. Who are we appeasing here? Yes, she has a 26-year military career, combat-proven leader. I it, I don't know what combat. She's the first woman to fly a fighter jet in combat and to command a fighter squadron. That uh, that explains that. Uh, deployed six times in the Middle East and Afghanistan, flying 325 combat tours. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Michael Flynn. You sh he, 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 no. No, absolutely not. Proposed as Secretary of Homeland or Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. How about we just do away with that? That's something that came out of 9-11. We didn't have a Homeland Security cabinet position. Let's just do away with that one. And Flynn doesn't get to be in nothing. Then, here's an interesting one. Robert Kennedy Jr., Secretary of Health and Human Services. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe this is a guy, this is the, you know, this is, a, he has some Trumpian attributes to him. He's completely, completely against the narrative in all cases. And it's apparently in all narratives. And uh, that's, that's not bad. 
That's not bad. Vivek Ramaswamy. I could see him as Secretary of Education, and his mission should be that you go out and, uh, I don't know, you go out and you just take everything down. Get back to the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Do away with all of the social engineering. Get the parents more involved in stuff. Then there's Carrie Lake. Maybe communications director. I mean, she definitely got the chops for that. I could see her stepping up every day and doing the press press uh, press briefings on a daily basis. She would be very, very, very good at that. Um, for some reason, uh, he's picking Christy Nome as a VP runner-up. Christy Nome is a, an appeaser. So, do we want her one heartbeat away from the presidency? Now he picks, and I'm not I'm not sure that I disagree with this. He picks DeSantis as a backup alternative in the event that Trump cannot run as a GOP nominee. Interesting picks on his part. I don't agree with all of them. That's a good thing about America. That's the great thing about America. 22 hours from now, I will be back with you, and I will enjoy every moment of it. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.